Welcome to I Must Discuss, the podcast where I talk about the big headlines in pop culture, at least on the weekends. I am your host, Angela Taylor. On the docket today, I have an update on Elon Musk's Twitter takeover. Rihanna is back with a new song and a new fashion show, but people are hmm, less than impressed. And a new honor for the female rap duo Salt and Peppa, plus a few other headlines. Now let's get into it. But first, some sad news. A talented young black man died senselessly this week. Takeoff, a member of the Atlanta rap trio Migos, has died. His real name was Kershnick Kahari Ball. He was shot in Houston on November 1st. He was only 28 years old. The shooting happened outside of a bowling alley after a private party. A 24-year-old woman and a 23-year-old man were also shot, but their injuries were not fatal. I want to take some time to humanize this young man because too often we hear the words rapper and shooting, and we form assumptions about the type of person that they were, that somehow perhaps they even deserved it because they were a criminal, but that's not the case for this young man. At a news conference earlier this week, Houston police made a point to say that Takeoff was not believed to be involved in any criminal activity. Takeoff was born in Lawrenceville, Georgia, which is northeast of Atlanta. He was raised with his uncle Quavo. They were only about three years apart in age. They were raised by Quavo's mother, Edna, who was a hairstylist. Together with their cousin, Offset, they formed a group that went on to be known as Migos. From an early age, Takeoff knew he wanted to be a rapper, and now I'm quoting a New York Times article. It was Takeoff's childhood obsession with Southern hip hop that first inspired Migos as young teenagers in the Atlanta suburbs of Gwinnett County, on its way to becoming one of the biggest rap acts of the last decade, known for hits like Versace and Bad and Bougie. Even as he dodged celebrity and maintained almost no public profile, Takeoff became a connoisseur's favorite of the trio and was credited with initiating the stuttering triplet delivery that came to infiltrate hip hop and trickle into the pop sphere. Drew Finling, a lawyer for Takeoff and confidant to many rap stars, called his death, quote, a devastating loss, particularly for Atlanta. When you're around Takeoff, there's a sense of peacefulness about his aura, Mr. Finling said. He listens to you, he looks at you, He's more focused on what you have to say than what he has to say. The world was starting to learn about Takeoff. It was his time to shine, end quote. Now I'm skipping ahead in the article. Pairing a punchy rap style that could sound broody or elated with sticky, repetitive hooks, like Takeoff's defining choruses on Fight Night and T-Shirt, Migos's trademark delivery would go on to become a go-to mode for popular music throughout the 2010s as used by artists including Travis Scott and Ariana Grande. In 2021, former President Barack Obama put Straightening from Migos' album Culture 3 on his summer playlist, alongside songs by Rihanna, Joni Mitchell, and Stevie Wonder. In late 2016 and early 2017, the group soared to A-list fame around the world thanks to Bad and Bougie, a spare, uncompromising track featuring Little Uzi Vert, but not Takeoff, who was absent from the song that spent three weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100, end quote. 
That's the end of the New York Times article. In 2017, Migos was nominated for two Grammys, Best Rap Album and Best Rap Performance. Takeoff's label, Quality Control Music, released an official statement saying, It is with broken hearts and deep sadness that we mourn the loss of our beloved brother, Kersnik Kahari Ball, known to the world as Takeoff. Senseless violence and a stray bullet has taken another life from this world, and we are devastated. Please respect his family and friends as we all continue to process this monumental loss. Now, I'm too old to be listening to Migos, um, so I was not familiar with his music. However, when I read about this young man, I wanted to take time to just kind of add a little bit more to this story because um, I don't want people to think that this was like a drug-involved shooting or like, you know, he was a gang member. None of that is true. He was a talented young man, and it's sad that the world has lost another creative soul. The bloodbath continues at Twitter. Last week, it was a few of the C-suite executives, including the CEO. This week, reportedly half of their workforce has been notified that they are losing their jobs. According to published reports, the communication to workers who were losing their jobs was extremely messy. Thursday night, some employees began noticing that their company email accounts were shut off, but they hadn't been told that they were laid off yet. Some still had access to Slack, but then their accesses to other systems were terminated later. And one employee was on a video conference call and vanished when their access to the Twitter network was cut off in the middle of the call. Now that was according to the New York Times. Elon Musk is cutting costs immediately because he had to borrow $13 billion to complete the $44 billion deal. Last year, Twitter reportedly lost $221 million and hasn't made a profit eight of the last 10 years. Now, the quickest way for a company to cut costs is reducing the workforce, which equates to layoffs. It's just really harsh as we're only like two weeks away from Thanksgiving here in the United States and a little over a month before Christmas. The Washington Post is reporting that five former Twitter employees are suing the company for allegedly not giving proper notice, which is a violation of federal and state law. Now, the areas of the company with the most cuts, according to the New York Times, are, quote, the human rights and disability experience teams were cut back, said three people familiar with the decision. The internet technology team, which is partly responsible for keeping the site functioning, became a, quote, skeleton crew, two people said. The marketing, social, curation, studio, and enforcement teams and the, quote, Redbird division of platform and infrastructure support were also hit. People who work from home were targeted for cuts, two people said, end quote. That was from the New York Times. The Washington Post had the details on what the laid-off employees were told. They're reporting, quote, Musk said the company offered three months of severance pay to everyone laid off. Emails to former staffers obtained by the Post told recipients, quote, within a week, you will receive details of your severance offer, financial resources extending beyond your non-working notice period. 
That will be accompanied by a formal separation agreement, a claim release, an agreement that employees will drop or not pursue legal complaints against Twitter, and instructions on how to return company equipment such as laptops and ID badges. End of the Washington Post excerpt. Meanwhile, Twitter gets nearly all of its revenue from advertising, but many of the platform's customers have paused spending on the platform. Why are they doing this? Why are they not running campaigns? Because Musk's stance on free speech, companies are worried that there's going to be a rise in hate speech on Twitter and they don't want their content showing up next to, you know, hate speech. <laughs> so last week on Thursday, right after Musk took ownership, use of the N-word on Twitter rose 500% in just 12 hours. That was reported by Yahoo News. The Washington Post has more details on the boycott by advertisers. Activists are seeking to apply pressure to, to other companies to cut off their ad buys on Twitter until Musk reigns in spreading hate speech and conspiracy theories. After meeting with Musk, NAAC President Derek Johnson on Friday called advertisers to abandon Twitter. When we met with Elon Musk, he made commitments that gave us cautious optimism, but until actions are taken to make Twitter a safe space, corporations cannot in good conscience put their money behind Twitter, Johnson said in a statement. Twitter must earn its advertisers by creating a platform that safeguards our democracy and rids itself of any content or account that spews hate and disinformation, end quote from the article. So far, the following companies have stopped running ads on Twitter, according to the Washington Post. Ford, General Motors, Volkswagen, including Audi, cereal and snack companies, General Mills, Amandalay, the corporation behind Oreos, Ritz Crackers, Sour Patch Kids, and others, pharmaceutical giant Pfizer, United Airlines, International ad and consulting firm Interpublic, which represents American Express, Coca-Cola, Fitbit, Spotify, and dozens of other major corporations. Here are more details about Elon Musk's call with civil rights leaders. Musk's right-wing fan base is now mad at him for even taking the meeting with representatives from the American Defamation League, Color of Change, NAACP, Free Press, League of United Latin American Citizens, and the Asian American Foundation. Here's more on that meeting from the Washington Post. Hours after meeting with representatives of civil rights groups over Zoom, Musk tweeted that it would probably take weeks for the company to design a process for reinstating user accounts, a vow that means former President Donald Trump will not rejoin the site before the midterm elections. Musk also pledged that members of the civil rights community and representatives from groups that, quote, face hate-fueled violence, end quote, would be included in an outside content moderation council that he has said will advise the company on policy matters. Twitter will continue to combat hate and harassment and enforce its election integrity policies, Musk tweeted. Right-wing influencers immediately criticized him for taking the meeting in the first place, often peppering their comments with prejudice epitaphs. Quote, I was 100% wrong about Elon Musk changing Twitter, said one 900,000 follower account that had previously hailed Musk's purchase of the platform. Skipping ahead, we're going to watch very closely, very carefully, Anti-Defamation League CEO Jonathan Greenblatt said, but I was encouraged by the conversation and his willingness to engage with us. 
I thought the conversation was respectful. It was not contentious, said Rashad Robinson, the president of Color of Change, one of the groups that took part in the meeting. We stressed what was important. He stressed his vision, end quote. Now, I personally checked Elon's Twitter account this morning, and he's updated his bio to now say Twitter complaint hotline operator. And he's been talking about the layoffs on his feet, too. Here's a sampling of his latest tweets, which I will read in order from oldest to most recent. At 6.30 p.m. Friday, Musk retweeted a thread from Yoel Roth, head of safety and integrity at Twitter, where he clarified the cuts that happened within his division. At 6.54 p.m. Friday, Musk, Musk then tweeted, Again, to be crystal clear, Twitter's strong commitment to content moderation remains absolutely unchanged. In fact, we have actually seen hateful speech at times this week decline below our prior norms, contrary to what you may read in the press. At 7.14 p.m. Friday, he wrote, Regarding Twitter's reduction in force, unfortunately, there is no choice when the company is losing over $4 million a day. Everyone exited was offered three months of severance, which is 50% more than legally required. 11.45 p.m. Friday, he wrote, power to the people. And then finally, at 12.30 a.m. Saturday, he posted, trash me all day, but it'll cost $8. I did not mean to spend this much time on Elon Musk and Twitter. But I can't end this segment before mentioning this. And I believe what I'm about to tell you is another big reason why Black people specifically are wary of the future of Twitter. Back in March of this year, three former employees of Tesla, Elon Musk's other company, spoke to the Los Angeles Times about the racism they experienced while working in the factory in Fremont, California. I'm quoting the the LA Times piece. In interviews with The Times, three Black former employees described how jobs at the pioneering automaker devolved into personal nightmares due to a pattern of rampant racism and harassment at Tesla's Fremont, California factory. Their accounts expand on allegations in a February 9th lawsuit filed by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing on behalf of more than 4,000 current and former Black workers at the world's most valuable car company, the largest racial discrimination suit ever brought by the state by a number of workers affected. The three former employees describe a workplace where racist slurs in English and Spanish were often aimed at Black employees by co-workers and supervisors, as alleged in the lawsuit. They say Tesla segregated Black workers into separate areas, gave them the hardest tasks, and routinely denied them promotions. And they allege that when they informed the company about the racist treatment, their complaints went ignored or they were fired. Here are some more specifics about the allegations. A single mother was excited to land a job at Tesla. About three years in, she was fired, she said, after complaining that black workers were frequently called the N-word on the assembly line. A former refinery worker couldn't wait to get into green energy. She said she soon found herself and other Black workers assigned to do the most arduous tasks in a corner of the factory co-workers called 
the plantation. An army veteran was promoted to a fleet manager job. He said he was fired after he complained that his boss called him and two black co-workers monkeys. Tesla disputed the former employee's accounts, stating that the three workers did not complain to the company about racism and that any discipline they received was the result of their own workplace behavior. Race plays no role in any of Tesla's work assignments, promotions, pay, or discipline, attorneys for the company said in a statement. Tesla prohibits discrimination in any form. That's the end of the LA Times article that I'm reading from. Not the end of the article, but the part that I'm reading from. So all of what Elon is saying about having this council review the comments, it's like, okay. And then, you know, I read about this very jarring allegations of racist treatment of his employees at a plant in California. I'm sorry, I will believe it when I see it, but I don't have much confidence that Twitter is going to be, I mean, Twitter, let's be honest, Twitter was already accessible, but I think it's just going to get worse. I have no evidence to believe that it will be better. Fans of Rihanna rejoiced last week when she released her first song in six years. It's a ballad called Lift Me Up. It's on the soundtrack for the Black Panther sequel, Wakanda Forever. Here's a snippet. Okay, I mean, to be honest, I really wanted to like the song, but I feel like it's a little dry. It's a little dry, a little low energy. I mean, it doesn't have a big lift that most ballads need to like not make them boring. Anyway, I feel a little bad because the song uh, was written in honor of Chadwick Boseman, the original Black Panther who died in 2020. Anyway. So the song came out and it got a lukewarm response, although the video does have more than 27 million views on YouTube. Thursday or Friday, we learned that Rihanna's next fashion show for her line, Savage Fenty, it's like her answer to Victoria's Secret. It features Johnny Depp and people are really, really mad about this. Now, over the last few years, Johnny Depp's reputation has tanked back in May Depp and his ex-wife, actress Amber Heard, had to take the stand in a Virginia courtroom for a defamation lawsuit. What started everything was an op-ed piece that Amber Heard published in the Washington Post back in 2018. She called herself in that piece a public figure representing domestic abuse. She didn't identify Johnny Depp in her article, but people, you know, put two and two together and the next thing you know he started losing movie deals getting cut from films everything after it was published so Depp then sued her for 50 million dollars 
And then she countersued him for $100 million because his lawyer called her abuse allegations a hoax. The civil lawsuit dominated all of the headlines this summer in May, June. I didn't follow the trial because honestly, I had zero interest in it. I wasn't a big, I'm not a big Johnny Depp fan. I never watched Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I think the last thing I saw him in was Donnie Brasco. And I had no idea who Amber Heard was. I had never heard of her. So I had to read up on the trial this weekend because I because this is after all you know why people are mad so I had to figure out what is going on here like I have been avoiding reading about this but couldn't avoid it anymore so I'm gonna get into just a warning what I'm about to talk about is very disturbing I'm going into detail about the physical and sexual assault allegations um and I'm sharing coverage that I found that NBC News did. So this is an online article from NBC News that I am reading from. Heard testified about various other incidents of physical violence, describing occasions in which Depp allegedly slapped her, threw her to the ground, grabbed her by the hair, pushed her against a wall, headbutted her and threw objects at her, including drinking glasses and a cell phone. The lawyers for Heard introduced evidence they said backed up her claims, including cell phone photos of Heard with bruises on her face, text Depp sent using violent language, and an audio recording of Heard apparently pleading with him to put down a knife. Depp's lawyers, without providing evidence, said the images were doctored. Depp disputed parts of Heard's testimony, saying he has never struck a woman. In response to the headbutting claim, Depp alleged that Heard attacked him and they might have accidentally knocked heads while he attempted to restrain her. The trial also featured testimony from witnesses who said they heard, who said they saw Heard with injuries on her body, although they said they were not present when the injuries were allegedly inflicted. Heard's former makeup artist, for example, testified she concealed the actor's bruises and split lip before a talk show appearance in 2015. Now that's the end of the excerpt for this section. Now, Heard also alleged that Depp sexually assaulted her with a glass liquor bottle while they were in Australia. Johnny was there filming the fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movie in March 2015. She alleged Depp was angry and accused her of having sex with actors in her movies, which she denied. Now I'm back to quoting the coverage. Heard said she confronted Depp about his drug use after he took the drug MDMA. The two argued and he became belligerent, she said, hitting her face, shoving her to the ground, choking her, throwing her into a ping pong table and ripping off her nightgown. Depp then sexually assaulted her with a glass liquor bottle, Heard testified. I couldn't get up. I thought he was punching me, she said. I could just feel this pressure on my pubic bone. Depp has denied using MDMA in the instance Heard alleged, stating that he has used the drug maybe six or seven times in his life. He denied Heard's allegation that he took eight to ten MDMA pills that night in Australia, adding that he was sure he'd be dead if he did so. The altercation ended with Depp writing profane messages in blood on the walls and the tip of his middle finger severed. Depp who denied sexually assaulting Heard, says his finger was cut when she hurled a vodka bottle at him. 
heard who said she took sleeping pills after the assault says she was not awake when Depp's finger was cut. In cross-examination, Depp's lawyers pressed her on why she did not have medical records to substantiate the allegation of assault. In his testimony, Depp portrayed Heard as the aggressor in their relationship and the person who instigated conflicts that sometimes led to physical altercations. He said she subjected him to demeaning name-calling and acting out of a need for conflict. It could begin with a slap. It could begin with a shove. It could begin with throwing a TV remote at my head, throwing a glass of wine in my face, Depp said. It's hard to explain, but the argument would start here. But it would roll around and become this circular thing of its own, he said. You'd get back to the beginning. Now it's heightened even more, and it's still circular. There's no way in or out. Depp said he used drugs and alcohol as a way to psychologically cope with Heard's alleged abuse, testifying that she also drank heavily. Depp also testified that he began taking his mother's nerve pills at age 11 to escape the chaotic nature of the abuse he says he endured as a child. In terms of evidence, Depp's Depp's legal team presented audio recorded during the couple's arguments, among other materials. In one audio recording, Heard seemingly admits to having hit Depp while also denying that she punched him. In another recording, Heard says, tell people it was a fair fight and see what the jury and judge think. Tell the world, Johnny. Tell them. I, Johnny Depp, I am, I'm a victim too of domestic violence and it was a fair fight. And see if people believe or side with you. Heard has testified she struck Depp only in self-defense and to protect her sister, Whitney Henriquez. Depp's attorneys, Depp's attorneys called several witnesses, including the actor's security team, his sister, a forensic psychologist they hired, and a marriage counselor who conducted their sessions while they were still a couple. Laurel Anderson, the marriage counselor, said she observed mutual abuse in the relationship. Depp's security team testified that they never witnessed Depp assault Heard, but said their relationship was volatile. All of that was from the NBC News coverage. In the end, the jury found them both liable. Here's what CNN had. The jury found that Heard defamed Depp in three separate statements in the, in the Washington Post piece, and that Depp defamed Heard with one statement his attorney made. The jury, the jury awarded Depp $10 million in compensatory damages and $5 million in punitive damages. The jury awarded Heard $2 million in, compens in compensatory damages and no money for punitive damages. Okay, that was a lot, a lot, a lot of mess. But this is why people are mad that Rihanna is lending her platform to Johnny Depp by featuring him in her fashion show. I think for me, the biggest question is why even... Like, if we know right now that Johnny Depp is a little toxic, why court the controversy? Like, why even invite him? Her fashion line is literally putting Victoria's Secret out of business, mainly because she was early in emphasizing size inclusiveness, you know, not just in having plus size for sale, but she uses models of every single shape, size, gender, race, and people love it. You know, so why she has Johnny Depp in her show, I don't know. Maybe she had a childhood crush on him and maybe she wants to help him out now. 
who knows, but this is a rare misstep for Rihanna. So we'll see. The legendary female rap group salt and Peppa received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame this week. I absolutely loved them when I was a kid. Yes, I was in elementary school reciting the lyrics to What a Man during recess. What a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. Their song, Let's Talk About Sex, came out in 1990. And I remember um, seeing a segment about it on the Today Show uh, because, you know, I watched the news before I went to school with my mom. Anyway, it had made, that song had made headlines because it was just so bold. It was about S-E-X, but it had a really positive and important message for young women and men to protect yourself in these streets because at the time, HIV was really spreading very quickly through, you know, our communities. And, you know, this song helped put, you know, safety, you know, in the forefront of young people's minds at the time. So anyway, even though I was like way too young for that message, but it did, you know, stick out to me at that age. Never forgot it. Anyway, back to present day. Salt, whose real name is Cheryl James, and Peppa, whose real name is Sandra Denton, were in Hollywood with their former uh, bandmate Spinderella, whose real name is Deidre Muriel Roper. A few years ago, there was some drama when Spinderella accused Salt and Peppa of firing her from the group via an email. And this is the rest of the... <laughs> Sorry. I don't need to laugh because it's not funny. But this is according to the Daily Mail, which I am taking with a huge grain of salt, a boulder of salt, because the Daily Mail is not known for being the most accurate news source. But they were apparently at the... Hollywood Walk of Fame ceremony and here's what they said happened. Peppa was seen enthusiastically attempting to hug Spinderella as they celebrated their achievements only to be met with a lukewarm display from the star. Now apparently each of them at the ceremony gave a speech and Spinderella used her speech to call for reconciliation. Back to quoting the Daily Mail. Spinderella cut a glamorous figure in a busty black dress with a cape before an emotional acceptance speech, which saw her beg her bandmates to fix their relationship. She said, thank you, Salt and Pep, for mentoring me. We've been through it. Ups and downs, life lessons. It wasn't just the music. It was our relationship. And that means everything to me. So whatever we got to do to fix that, let's get some unity back in this. Let's figure it out and be iconic and be what the fans want. The trio were also seen hugging after giving their speeches with Salt saying, your setback is a setup for your comeback. Keep your head up and keep on pushing it, ladies. In 2019, the DJ claimed that she had been fired from the band after they were set to join New Kids on the Block on tour. Despite my participation in promoting the tour and being highly publicized as one of the acts, in January 2019, I received a termination email from Salt and Peppa, excluding me from the excluding me from performances with the group. She said at the time. In February 2021, Spinderella told Billboard, "The relationship is over." The only way something like that would happen is if we get this business handled and they offer an apology to me. 
In 2021, Spinderella also spoke about her awkward omission from Lifetime's salt and pepper biopic that she claims that she was also excluded from. Now that's the end from the Daily Mail piece. So while salt and pepper were promoting their biopic on Lifetime, they did a talk show, The Real, and so they addressed Spinderella's comments. And so People Magazine did a write-up on it, and here's what they had to say. Peppa explained th that the biopic was created to focus on the friendship of Sandy and Cheryl back in college. But yes, Spinderella joined us a part of it. We will always acknowledge her contribution that she's done with us. She will always be our sister, Denton continued. We love her, but we have always made sure that she had the opportunity and the platform. We always encourage her to be Spinderella and be supportive of her, so that is important. Salt, Cheryl James, then added, perception is not reality. Here's more of what Salt had to say. I reached out to Spinderella. I feel like this is very unfortunate, James began. We've come to a crossroads where we have decided to agree to disagree. I definitely am open and Peppa's open. We've talked about it and our hearts are open, have always been open to Spinderella. James, 54, went on to explain that there is more to the story than people realize. As far as the public is concerned, I'm really happy about the people who know that they don't know everything. There are six sides to every story, she said. We just hope that we can come to some sort of resolution in the future. You never know. You never know what God is doing. Well, it looks like they might be on the road to reconciliation, at least in public. Regardless, congratulations, ladies. You remain icons. I ain't going out like a sucker. And if you think so, boy, then pucker up. Kiss the butter that's clear and thick. Blow on the mic and make a wish. That's it for today's episode of I Must Discuss. Rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening. The Crown comes back on Wednesday, November 9th, and I will be recapping one episode at a time weekly every Tuesday. Until next time.